Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of the second week of the lockdown and things are starting to look terribly familiar, aren't they? More masks are being worn by the dwindling number of people walking the streets of our towns and cities. More police appear to be in evidence in ever greater numbers. Our food shops seem to be more likely to have shelves containing produce on them and social distancing is being practised more and more properly. Today we are taking stock of where we are, what Matt Hancock had to say yesterday and where the next few weeks and months are going to take us. There's been a lot of questions about compensation packages this week. We will continue to search for answers for those people who are the most badly affected. We will continue to press the government on the self-employed packages, the voluntary sector jobs being created and the companies that are in need of being named and shamed for trying to profiteer from this ghastly pandemic. Uh, And I'm talking about welcome break here, of course. If footballers are being asked to sacrifice their wages by the health secretary, shouldn't energy companies similarly be told to hold off sending their bills for a while? Shouldn't council tax holidays be made available to those that need them and shouldn't there be a way for anyone who is in difficulty to get access to money fast 0344 499 coming up we'll be talking to shadow chancellor john mcdonald on the final day of jeremy corbyn's leadership we are joined by george pascoe watson chairman of portland communications and we'll talk about these coronavirus testing kits that everybody seems to be getting so worked up about plus of course we want your calls your stories your experiences as well you are the eyes and ears of the independent republic of mike graham and we need to know what you know so we can tell everybody else. 0344 499 1000. It's Friday, of course, so we will have another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards. And our homeschooling section today is in the company of Susie Dent from Dictionary Corner. We'll be talking about, yes, you guessed it, words. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest great radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm delighted to say that we're now joined by John McDonald, Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer. John, very good morning to you. Happy Friday, I suppose. And, and I thought, as, as I was on my way in to talk to you, I thought we'd already done the final John McDonald Shadow Chancellor interview, but we get, <laughs> we get to do a bonus one <laughs> <laughs> i stand down tomorrow yes 
Only another twenty-four hours. Just another twenty-four hours. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's been a it's been a weird couple of weeks. I suppose would be the best way to describe it. But you know, we seem to be kind of slowly but surely, you know, making our way towards something, don't we? Yeah. Um, what's you know, this crisis has hit us, and lessons are being learned, and they're having to be learned pretty quickly on all the economic fronts. Um, I've been working with the government, a constructive engagement, trying to make sure that we work cross-party as issues come up, address them effectively. I've, I've been a bit critical at times because I think it's not party political. You have to be honest about things. And at times the government has been behind the curve. And I think on a couple of issues they still are. But to give them their due, Matt Hancock, when he was interviewed last night, acknowledged on the financial side our input had been listened to and thanked the Labour Party for that. So I'm hoping that the Chancellor now, in his announcements today, will try and plug some of the gaps in the support scheme, because there's no doubt about it. There's a lot of people out there who are being laid off from work and without adequate financial support. Some of them not being covered by the support schemes the government's put forward. And a lot of particularly self-employed that are really on the edge at the moment and need some support. And so they're the big gaps that there are in the system. Yeah, we've heard from a few people this week who have, who have been exactly in that spot saying that, you know, they've not been able to do any work for a couple of weeks and yet they're looking at a situation where they can't get any money till June. That's going to have to be fixed, isn't it? Got to be. It's got to be. The Chancellor today um, is going to look at the way in which loans that he promised are going to be delivered because... Last week, this is about eight or nine days ago, I and a number of MPs across all political parties raised in Parliament the fact that he'd promised loans to small businesses and others, and they weren't getting through. There's been 130,000 applications, only 900 of them dealt with. He's now going to broaden that and try and increase the effectiveness of that loan scheme. Thank goodness we gave him some advice on how to do that. And so did the Federation of Small Businesses and the CBI and the trade unions. So he's listened a bit on that, but he needs to go much further. There are just too many people at the moment who are being laid off, put onto sick pay, which is still just over £94, and you can't live off that. Matt Hancock acknowledged that. Lots of people who've been new starters in their jobs since the scheme was, a well, the, end date, the start date of the scheme was February the 28th, not announced until March 20th. Those people who took jobs on after the 20th or were offered jobs and not included. And I didn't think there'd be that many, but I'm finding there's hundreds of thousands of people. In terms of those who started their business since last April, they're not covered either. So there's a whole series of gaps, like seasonal workers, um, people who, um, for example, foster carers, we're not sure that they're actually covered. So there's a whole range of people like that, finding a lot of freelancers, particularly particularly in media and in the cultural sector, not covered. So we're saying to them, and I've submitted a number of papers over the last week to him, identifying the particular gaps, saying to him, you need to get on mm. the case on that quickly because people need money in their banks or in their pockets because they're, I think people are struggling to survive. Well, people are. And I wonder if we can come at it from the opposite side as well with some companies that are not behaving perhaps as they ought to. I mean, could we not get some some sort of holiday for people who are having to pay energy bills, which are very high in this day and age, maybe even phone companies, certainly um, train companies who have taken people's money for a season ticket, but for those people who aren't able to use that train anymore. And we heard of a terrible story yesterday, John, of Welcome Break, one of the uh, motorway service stops, charging lorry drivers £28 to stay 
stay there overnight where they need to stay in isolation while they're delivering stuff around the country. I mean, I just think that's that's pretty awful and they should be surely waiving those kinds of fees, shouldn't they? Well, first thing, name and shame them. You know, if there are people out there, organisations or companies profiteering at a time like this, we should name and shame them. That's the first thing. Well, that's what I'm going to uh, do. The, you're right. Uh, well, that's what I've been doing as well. And also those companies that are still operating, that are not essential, and they're still putting their workers at risk as well, not introducing sanitization, not, mm. in, not having proper social distancing. Some construction sites around the country have been appalling, and where some good companies have said, we've shut down the sites because we can't, we can't protect our workers' health, Others have operated and continue to operate. And also, I've had lots of people contact me who've been saying, I've been forced into work. What do I do? Because I'm, I, I need the income. I mm. can't get it. But those ones who, I think there's a very good point. I've been doing a survey amongst Labour MPs all around the country saying, what are your constituents telling you? But also, I've been having 800 to 1,000 emails a day. People contacting me saying, this is what's happened to me. A lot of them saying, I'm being hit by high bills. Energy bills in particular were really worried that their next bill for energy, because they're stuck at home yeah. in, in isolation, in the lockdown, their energy bill is going to hit them. We've been saying to the government, I put a paper into the government last Friday um, about how we need to ensure that people's bills are either they get proper support on that, but at least we stop any disconnections. It's the same with rents and evictions, etc. But I think there's a large number of people who will need financial support because, as you say, the bills are going to hit them. Yes. We've said to the government as well that on council tax, for example, there has been a hardship fund given to local authorities, but it's 500 million goes nowhere near from what I'm hearing is needed. So there needs to be a bit better planning. As I say, you know, the government's been behind the curve on a number of issues, but I'm hoping they're quickly learning the lessons. The announcement today will go a bit further, but there needs to be another package brought forward urgently next week to deal with this range of matters. Now we know what people are experiencing, and there's such a good feedback from people now in their different circumstances, we can plug those gaps. But it does need the government to be a bit more fleet of foot, if you like, yes. in terms of addressing them. But they have been uh, sort of faced and charged with a massive amount of work to be done. And we know uh, from historically, uh, the civil service True. doesn't exactly move quickly. So they've done a lot, an awful lot of things in the, in the last say, sort of month or two that would normally take about three years. Well, true. I'm not, you know, I'm not criticising the civil service at all. I have been dealing with them. I had a telephone conferences with um, civil servants and the Treasury and Cabinet Office last week, and we've been liaising with them within the last 24 hours, as I said, submitting papers, etc. But there has to be better political direction. When it comes down to it, the civil servants that I'm talking to, um, actually, there's a large number of young, bright people who are really getting on with it, but some, some of the older hands as well have I think giving some really good guidance about how things can be implemented, but it does need political direction. So what I'm saying to Rishi Sunak and others is, look, we now know where the gaps in your schemes are. Don't leave it till next week or the week after. Get on with it now and plug those gaps, because a lot of it is simply about making sure, for example, the banks deliver because they haven't been up until now, making sure that individual companies are properly monitored. Sometimes, you know, we're urging the voluntary action. I think there needs to be a lot more direction 
and some enforcement as well on some of this. Okay, a final question for you, John. Um, uh, because you, this this is your final day as the Shadow Chancellor of the Exchequer, also Jeremy Corbyn's final day as leader of the Labour Party. I don't. I mean, like you, I'm not being critical particularly or being negative, but it's going to be difficult for Jeremy Corbyn's sort of leadership reign to be remembered for something other than the anti-Semitism problem that the Labour Party still has. Well, I, I'm hoping we've demonstrated that actually we've been able to rise to it and deal with it. Um, I was talking, interestingly enough, I'm amazed that you raised it today, but interestingly enough, I was speaking to one of our Jewish Party members yesterday who's been involved in touring around constituencies to train people on anti-Semitism. And actually, I think the, the mechanisms that we've put in place now... And, you know, I was very critical of the party from the beginning, saying they weren't fast enough or ruthless enough about dealing with it. I think the mechanisms we're putting in place now is that's happening. The training's taking place as well. They're much quicker at kicking people out once they've identified any anti-Semitic behaviour. I'm hoping that becomes a lesson for other political parties because we not just anti-Semitism, there's Islamophobia and other political parties as well. I'm hoping we've learned that lesson and we can move on. But yes, it has been a stain. There's no doubt about it. We should have done work faster. We should have been more ruthless. But lessons have been learned. And I'm hoping we can move on now and become the race anti-racist party that we've always been leading the struggles against anti-racism in our society. And unfortunately, it's still there. And it's, it's anti-Semitism, Islamophobia and other forms of racism that still unfortunately infect our, our community that we've got to tackle. John, thanks very much indeed. Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell there talking on his last day uh, as Shadow Chancellor. Getting some very interesting uh, tweets coming in about some companies and what they've been doing. How about this from Philip? Sky have also sent out letters about increased subscriptions. Disgusting. Mine's gone up £6, which is about 8%. Uh, Lorraine says, Mike, despite losing my job, I paid Talk Talk £15 of the £22 I owed them. They sent an email threatening to charge me £12.50 for a late payment if I don't pay the remaining £6.50. They've closed their phone lines, can't talk to them, can't get through on social media media chat or messages. This is not the way to proceed, guys. This is not the way to treat, treat your customers. This is not the way uh, to run a business. Everybody's struggling. Everybody knows that it's tough. And as George Pascoe Watson said, you can understand companies needing to get their income stream sorted out. Yes, I get all that. However, do not treat your customers like marks. Do not treat your customers like you're conning them. Be responsible. Be decent. And be honest with them, for heaven's sake. And don't put the bleeding prices up in the middle of a global pandemic of coronavirus. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Uh, down at uh, the Nightingale Hospital right now, uh, we are just awaiting Matt Hancock taking to the stage. He's about to uh, uh, talk before the opening of the Nightingale Hospital, which, of course, has been built very, very quickly uh, out of what was the XL Exhibition Centre. Uh, we're just watching Ruth May, Chief Nursing Officer for the NHS in England right now. Uh, she's hosting the event. Uh, Matt Hancock's going to be speaking, as well as Prince Charles, who's officially opening uh, the NHS hospital, uh, which is temporary, of course, but has something like um, 4,000 beds in it where people can be sent if they are suffering from coronavirus and they need some kind... What they're calling, not necessarily, I think... Um, clinically clinically serious care, but just care uh, enough to let them somehow recover from the coronavirus 
from which they are suffering. We're going to take loads of your calls coming up as well, 0344 499 1000. Quite a few of you have been tweeting about the uh, testing situation and how, after we just spoke to our last guest, Abdullah Sabia, the CEO of Right Angled, um, you know, why would we bother with these tests? Well, that's part of the problem, because as I've said to you many times, the idea that you can test yourself to see whether you've got the virus is only any good if you've actually got the virus right now. Otherwise, it's not. Let's hear from Matt Hancock. Well, thank you, Ruth, for those words. You're an inspiring leader, uh, not only of the entire nursing profession of this country, uh, but also of this extraordinary project. When it was clear a few weeks ago that we were going to need to expand NHS critical care capacity so that the capacity to care is always above the need for that care in this country. The idea was dreamt not long ago of having a new hospital and this London NHS Nightingale Hospital, which was put together its core in nine days, is a testament to the leadership of the people who stand behind me. And as Secretary of State, whilst I do everything I can to help this country to respond to this awful virus, I am privileged to be able to draw on the capability and the leadership of all of these people who you can see who have made this happen. And for me, making sure that the NHS is always there for us as Health Secretary has always been my top priority. But in these troubled times, with this invisible killer stalking the whole world, the fact in this country that we have the NHS is even more valuable than ever before. And I think that the project, in close collaboration with the army, who've been brilliant, with the private industry, who have stepped up to the plate, with the many generous offers of support and donations, making sure that we have this hospital with up to 4,000 beds, the equivalent of 10 district general hospitals, making sure we have this hospital available is a testament to the work and the brilliance of many people. It is the best of efforts. It is the best of the NHS. And it is the best of Britain to come together in these difficult circumstances to put together such a facility at such base that will be there for people so that we can give the very best care and so that together as a nation we can come through this crisis in the best way we possibly can. And it gives me enormous pleasure and a deep uh, gratitude to be able to hand over to His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales formally to join us by video link and we've all learnt a lot about video links sir yeah. to join us by video link formally to open this new hospital you're listening to talk radio we're about to hear prince charles secretary of state uh, ladies and gentlemen uh, if i may say so i was uh, enormously touched to have been asked to open the nightingale hospital as part of a mass mobilization to withstand the coronavirus crisis uh, it is, without doubt, a spectacular and uh, almost unbelievable feat of work in every sense, from its speed of construction in just nine days, as we've heard, to its size and the skills of those who have created it. 
an example, if everyone was needed, of how the impossible could be made possible and how we can achieve the unthinkable through human will and ingenuity. The creation of this hospital is, uh, above all, the result of an extraordinary uh, collaboration and partnership between NHS managers, the military, and all those involved to create a centre on a scale that has never been seen before in the United Kingdom. To convert one of the largest national conference centres into a field hospital, starting with 500 beds and uh, with a potential of 4,000, is quite frankly incredible. Now, I was, uh, I was one of the lucky ones uh, to have COVID-19 relatively mildly. And if I may say so, I'm so glad to see the Secretary of State has also recovered. But for some, it will be a much harder journey. I am therefore so relieved that everyone can now have the reassurance that they will receive all the necessary technical care they may need and every chance to return to a normal life. This hospital, therefore, offers us an intensely practical message of hope for those who will need it most at this time of national suffering. Let us also pray, ladies and gentlemen, that it will be required for as short a time and for as few people as possible. On behalf of the nation, I want to say a very big thank you to the planners, uh, the builders, the armed forces, the generous companies and organizations which have donated equipment and services and all the support staff who have made this possible. Also, we owe an immense debt of gratitude to the doctors, the nurses, the technicians, the staff currently working in the health service and those coming out of retirement and the voluntary workers who will be working within it. And I can only offer my special thoughts and prayers to all those who will receive care within it. And let us hope, ladies and gentlemen, that it will not be too long before this terrible disease has left our land. Now, I need hardly say that the name of this hospital could not have been more aptly chosen. Florence Nightingale, the lady with the lamp, brought hope and healing to thousands in their darkest hour. In this dark time, this place will be a shining light. It is symbolic of the selfless care and devoted service taking place in innumerable settings with countless individuals throughout the United Kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, as the wonders of modern technology can only do so much and I can't quite reach, perhaps I could invite Nightingale's uh, head of nursing, Natalie Gray, on my behalf to unveil the plaque to declare NHS Nightingale Hospital open.
You're listening to Talk Radio. This is Mike Graham. Uh, this is the Independent Republic. Uh, the Prince of Wales just opening the NHS Nightingale Hospital, uh, where 4,000 beds have been set up, basically, for uh, dealing with the coronavirus. Matt Hancock was also speaking, and Prince Charles, of course, saying there that he was happy that he uh, and Matt Hancock had both recovered from the getting what was considered to be relatively mild uh, cases of the coronavirus. Uh, Matt Hancock, the Secretary of State, of course, for health, is still walking around. Uh, we may hear some more from him later on today uh, because there will be another briefing, of course, coming up later. Uh, we've got Mark Dolan in uh, from one o'clock, Ian Collins in from four, uh, and they'll be bringing you all the action and all the uh, detail from the government uh, as we go forward. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Uh, coming up very shortly, Susie Dent's going to be joining us from Something Rhymes with Purple Podcast and, of course, Dictionary Corner. Uh, she's going to be giving us our local homeschooling segment, uh, which has been proving to be really, really helpful, actually, to an awful lot of parents. I've had some lovely tweets from people saying how much they've been enjoying it and how much their children have been enjoying it. What we're hoping to do uh, very shortly as well uh, is to basically um, put them all together on YouTube collectively. We'll tag them up in some way for home schooling so that you can show your children everything from uh, you know the definition of gravity what that's all about why leap years are the way they are uh, we had some mathematics with Carol Vorderman and uh, we've had some fantastic uh, uh, bits of uh, homeschooling education for you uh, so by all means uh, exploit it use it let it uh, be shown to your children and let them enjoy all of it now we've been talking a great deal this morning about coronavirus testing kits we've also been talking a lot about you know people struggling to make ends meet we're going to speak now uh, to Mel Chair of the Treasury Select Committee, Conservative MP for Central Devon, uh, because the emergency business loan scheme uh, has been revamped. So let's find out uh, what Mel can tell us about that. Very good afternoon to you, Mel. Oh, hi, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, there's been, um, I suppose, what can only be described as, as reasonably fair criticism of some of the packages that have been put together, purely and simply because people are falling through the cracks in some ways, shapes and forms. And, and one of the criticisms of this particular business loan scheme is that it's been a bit slow to react. Yeah, I think this is inevitable, Mike, in the sense that, you know, what we're experiencing uh, across the economy and indeed across the world economy, uh, economy now is virtually unprecedented. Mm. And this has required the kind of intervention by government on a scale and to an extent that is barely imaginable. We can imagine these things happening just a few short weeks ago. So it has had its teething problems. Now, some of those have been uh, the speed of getting this help out to small businesses to provide them with that vital bridging finance to hopefully get them through uh, this period until we, we come out uh, the other side. Sure. And one of the problems was uh, the banks seeking uh, personal guarantees from those uh, taking on these loans, which are 80% backed by the government, uh, incidentally. So what the Chancellor is now saying is that for any loan up to 250000 there will be no personal guarantees uh, required uh, at all. Um, and the other big change here in terms of speed of getting stuff out is that whereas before uh, the banks were required to actually assess uh, companies as to whether they should actually have a normal commercial loan, i.e. they were still viable to that extent, mm. that requirement has now been dropped. So those businesses will be able to go straight to the uh, business interruption uh, loan, which should speed that whole uh, process up. Okay. And as far as the ease of access for people who are listening to this right now and who want to just make a phone call, um, can they be confident in making a phone call that they can get some satisfaction from? I think the banks are playing catch-up. So as soon as this were, uh, scheme was announced, uh, not very long ago, about 30,000 calls immediately came in. Yeah. I think there have been now 130,000 
uh, businesses coming forward and seeking help. So inevitably, particularly given that the banks are just like other businesses, you know, they've got staff that are being affected and some of them are having to work from home. And this surge of uh, uh, response from businesses, of course, is something that they in their own way will struggle to some degree to cope with. But um, I, I think as, as, as time goes on, and time, of course, I accept is critical, they will be getting more and more up to speed. But the important thing that I think the Chancellor is doing now is just making that whole process of, of getting access to this cash uh, much quicker. Yes. But as a Treasury Select Committee, you know, we, we've had a call for evidence uh, recently uh, on these kind of issues, and we had 14,000 responses from businesses. I mean, right. it's unprecedented uh, for the committee. So we're well aware of the kind of problems, and these are changes that have just happened that the committee has been pushing very hard on, but there will inevitably be other mm. hard edges to come, and we will be focused on those too. Yes, of course. I mean, I'm not in any way uh, criticising the government's attitude to any of this, but I realise it's a massive task, and even John McDonald, who I spoke to earlier, the Shadow Chancellor, you know, was praising the government for actually doing all the things that it's doing. He'd like to take a bit of credit for it, of course, but we'll leave away with that. But the point is that, you know... I think the banks are taking a bit of a hit as well here. People uh, who I talk to and people who are on social media talking to me about this constantly, 24 hours a day effectively, are saying that, you know, we rescued the banks in 2008. They are not reciprocating in the way that they should. They are not... They're sort of dragging their heels a little bit, not maybe because they want to, but just because they're not forcing themselves to get this done as quickly as they should. Well, I, I think that there's something in that. So, you know, are the banks out there pushing this out as quickly as they possibly can? Yeah. And in the, in the fairest possible way, I think there are some issues there. So, for example, one question that still has not been answered satisfactorily from my point of view, and I think probably the committee's point of view, although I can't speak directly for them, um, is the rates of interest that will be paid yeah. or, or charged on these loans once the one year of interest-free, because you do get 12 months interest-free, right. what happens thereafter? And are the rates of interest that the banks are then applying fair and reasonable? And of course, are the personal security um, requirements that they may have for loans above 250000 going to be measured and, and, yeah. and proportionate? And because that is areas where we, we need to look to the banks to step up to the plate. I think so, yeah, because this should not be a money-making opportunity for them. This should be um, you know, a rescuing opportunity for them, as it were. So they should not actually be commercially gaining from it. I mean, by all means, cover whatever the costs are. But there's no cost to loaning money that doesn't exist, is there? Well, it, it, any lending, by its very nature, is not a risk-free activity. So if you go out and a bank lends money to a business, uh, there will be a proportion of those businesses that won't end up paying back the loan. Mm. And the bank will suffer the, suffer the loss of this. And that's why the government has stepped in and says, well, look, 80% of these loans will be backed by the Treasury. Right. So really the risk that's riding on this is the 20% of the banks. But the banks are businesses like any other business. And, uh, you know, there, there, there is a limit uh, to how much you can say to any business, look, you've got to keep taking on further risks and you've got to keep... keep well, there is, but by the same token, some of them would not be where they are. Some of them would not be where they are, Mel, today if it wasn't for the fact that, that we rescued them already. Well, the reason the banks were rescued back in uh, 2008 was not because they were banks per se. It's because they had a particular role in the economy and still do, a systemic role, whereby if they fail, then the whole economy goes down. And so there really was no choice other than stepping in. Yeah, but, but it's, funny, it's funny the way you explain that now, because under the current circumstances, it doesn't sound at all difficult, actually, to have let them go down because of what you're doing now. I mean, because one of the arguments that people are making to me now is that the government are now having to do such extraordinary things that in the future, you will never be able to say, we can't do that. Well, 
sorry, I'm not quite sure what, what your point is, Mike. But if, well, if, my point if, is is that you're describing yeah. an economic situation that had to be rescued in 2008, right? But yep. what you're actually doing now dwarfs that into complete insignificance. And in fact, well, the, the had, two... had the economy collapsed in 2008 the way it's about to now, you could have done then what you're doing now. Okay, so I think they're two different situations. 2008 was a financial crisis yeah. uh, that had long enduring effects, and it was about the stability ultimately of the banks and whether banks were allowed to go under or not, particularly the big ones, and the government stepped in and bailed out those banks. Had they not done so at that moment in time, the whole economy would have collapsed in a very sure. catastrophic yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm where not, not going to get... I'm... Where, where we are now is we're not in a financial crisis we're not in a situation really? where the banks need to be but well not not in, in in the same way as in 2008 we're all getting a bit technical here but yeah. you've asked the question yes so i know sorry <laughs> now 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 of course we're not in a situation where we're looking at the banks saying are the banks uh, are, are they capitalized enough are they going to be able to cope with the current circumstances they are well capitalized they're much better capitalized than they were in 2008 so that the nature of today's problem which is more threatening in many ways is both a supply side shock to the economy which is uh, supply chain businesses not being able to provide to other companies, uh, staff being off uh, sick, uh, and also a demand shock, which is about uh, people not interacting with the economy in the way that they, they used to. So we yeah. can't go into bars and clubs and leisure activities. And so there's a huge lack of, uh, lack of yeah. demand. So what the government's doing now is not propping banks up and doing that. It's looking to them to do the bit, but also to supply a huge amount of demand stimulus through protecting jobs and furloughing jobs and all those kind of things whilst getting money into businesses to bridge them through what hopefully will be a temporary yes. period. No, absolutely. We'll Listen, I, I, I didn't want to get into a big macroeconomic uh, argument about it. All I wanted to say was is that the, the extraordinary measures which you are now taking involve propping up everybody, not just the banks. And so, in fact, had you let the banks collapse and then just propped it all up back then, it would have been probably no different from where we are now. But let's not, let's not uh, dwell on it. Finally, Mel, and I appreciate your time, um, are you confident that the, that the people who are currently falling through the cracks in the self-employed area... Uh, who, has, who are the ones, for example, who aren't able to work and who aren't able to get any proper money until June. Can that be fixed? Well, the government, I know, is working at pace to get this scheme in place as fast as possible. One of the challenges they've got is that unlike those who are employed and work for other companies where there's a PAYE tax system in place, so it's relatively more easy to get uh, help through, they're having to build stuff from scratch to handle the situation of the self-employed. So what my committee... Uh, has been doing through its, uh, its hearings, and we had a public hearing with the Chancellor recently and the TUC, the CBI and others, and our call for evidence is to really keep pressure on the government to get that help there at the earliest possible opportunity. Uh, in the meantime, what the government is saying is, well, there's universal credit, and that is what one of the options that those who are in that situation can, can access. But you're absolutely right that this, this timing aspect of the help for the self-employed is a critical issue. Mm. And my committee is engaged with ministers and others to do whatever we can to speed that up. OK, brilliant. Mel, well, thank you very much indeed. Hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Mel Stride, Chair of the Treasury Select Committee, Conservative MP for Central Devon. We will, as I say, as often as we possibly can, try and get answers for you. Uh, if you are worried about whatever situation you are currently in, uh, we can only do our best to try and put those questions to ministers and to members of the government. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Coming up very shortly, we'll have the Perrier Awards in the company of Marta Malagon, of course, which is an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting this week. I usually win quite a lot of them. It's for all the mistakes that I've made over the course of the last five days. What I'm delighted to say now, though, is we are back into our homeschooling section of the show, and I'm very pleased to say that we've got lexicographer, uh, broadcaster Susie Dent with us from the uh, Something Rhymes With Purple podcast and Dictionary Corner, of course, from Countdown. Susie, very good afternoon. Afternoon to you. Afternoon, Mike. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I'm so pleased you could do this because we've had some stars like yourself. We've had Carol Vorderman with a little bit of a maths lesson. So to have you to do, to do words is brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And I've been looking at your... Uh, and, and we've got all sorts of ages of children listening to this, even my, from my kids who are 15, 13, down to other people's children who are five and six, and they're all crowding yeah. around the radio listening to it. And I've been looking at your Twitter account, and I love your wordy fact of the day for kids. I really like it. There's one here about the word thrill. Tell us about that. Yes. Um, well, they kind of kids quite like the sort of gory, squelchy side of yes. the I thought. So this one um, goes back to a really old sense of thrill, also spelt fell, which meant to pierce someone with a sword. And, mm. of course, when you pierce someone with a sword, you make a hole. It was all a bit grisly. Um, and so a thrill came to mean the hole left by the sword. And then gradually over the centuries, it came to mean to be pierced with excitement rather than pierced by a literal sword. Right. Um, but you'll still find that thrill in nostril uh, because the nostrils of our noses are holes, obviously, and they were originally nose thrills. So wow. That very old idea of creating a hole in someone's body. That is lovely, isn't it? I mean, is there anywhere apart from your amazing Twitter feed where you can find this kind of stuff out? Because, I mean, lots of children obviously will be reading books at the moment, they'll be studying online, uh, they'll be looking up um, perhaps stories that they're being asked to read by their schools. But it'd be great yeah. if they could go somewhere and just look up the definition of words. I mean, I know there's a dictionary, but not like this. Yeah. 
No, what you need is a good dictionary of word origins, and um, Oxford does a great one, actually, for kids. It's called the Oxford School Dictionary of Word Origins, um, and it was written by someone called John Ato, who's um, amazing. So I would definitely recommend that. Um, I wrote something called Weird Words, which gives you some of these stories as well. Okay. Um, basically, you just need anything that's got... Um, you know, etymology's word origins in as well as the definitions and right. uh, make sure it's a school one. Right. Where are you yeah, on the I kind of invention... On, where are you on the invention of new words? You know, because every year we hear that the Oxford English Dictionary has, encomp- has, you know, has encompassed these new words that we've used, things like, mm. you know, Brexit, for example, and, and others. Because mm. we are always evolving as a language, I presume. We are, we are. And um, essentially it's a dictionary's role to, um, you know, to include words that people might want to look up either for a definition or to see when it was first recorded, that sort of thing. Um, so we have to be fairly quickly with the, client, with, with the times. And of course now dictionaries are online. We can update much more quickly. So you will find quite soon, I think, some of the um, coronavirus uh, vocabulary that's sprung up in the last few months. Those will go in fairly soon. And you know, for, for some of our major dictionaries, that's quite unprecedented because normally you have to wait for a word to be around for some time uh, before it will go in. But obviously, you know, unprecedented might be the word of the year. Who knows? Well, um, unprecedented. Know. Well, coronavirus, I presume, will probably be going in as well, or COVID-19 at some point. Yes, COVID-19 probably. Coronavirus is already in because, of course, it encompasses all the different incarnations of it, whether it's a cold or a flu, etc. Yes. But the specific strain, yes, definitely will be going in. Mm. Now, a couple of more fun facts. I'm just cheating here by looking at your Twitter feed. Um, <laughs> tell us about secretary. Oh, secretary, I just I just love this one um, because it's such a nice way of remembering how to spell it because it's not an easy one to spell. Um, if you think of it as a secretary, you'll get the idea because secretaries used to be keepers of secrets. Yeah. So if you've got a friend who you tell everything to, they would have been your secretary. I think, you know, I think they still are, to be honest. That's true. I think they probably are as well. <laughs> I mean, no, it's I always... No, I've uh, always used to say in newspapers, the, sec- the second most powerful person on the newspaper wasn't the deputy editor, it was the editor's secretary. Yes, I think that's completely true. I think they have a lot of power that didn't always get acknowledged. Um... So that's a nice one. And, and, you know, quite often if you unpack a word like that, you'll, you'll sort of see how word wears its heart on its sleeve. I mean, we just kind of walk by them because we don't really think about them very much. Another one I did was a freelancer. Um, and a freelancer, the first record of that referred to knights in the Middle Ages yes. who were free to use their lances or their weapons, their pointed weapons, um, for whoever paid them, basically. Right. Whoever paid them. So it's sort of very um, mercenary. Yes, they weren't attached to any particular lord or um, or noble. Um, they were free to go where the money was. And right. again, that's still true. It certainly is. Uh, <laughs> were they? Would they be covered by the government's self-employed scheme, I suppose, would be the first question you'd have to ask well, them. Well, absolutely right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the what, what about finally Fortnite? I say this because I've got two teenagers who, uh, for a while, not so much anymore, where all they would do was play Fortnite as a game, which is actually spelled yeah. slightly differently. But tell us about Fortnite. Yeah. Well, Fortnite, again, it's just, you know, a lot of people would have guessed this, but a lot of people like where they just walk past it without thinking about it, really. And Fortnite is um, 14 nights, that's what it was, in Old English. It was spelled slightly differently. Uh, and in those days, they also had senites for a week, seven ah, nights. Okay. They had wonderful old markers of time, in fact. So they had overmorrow for the day after tomorrow, which I just think is beautiful. Why did we ever leave that behind? Um, yesterday or yesterday evening or last night. Uh, so they had these wonderful old markers of time that we seem to have lost, apart from Fortnite. 
No, exactly right. Well, it's a fascinating language, ours, isn't it? And I mean, I'm I'm a great protagonist of it. I try to insert words. You do, I, I know. I used yeah. the word perspicacity the other day. And a lot of people are like, what's that? And so, you know, <laughs> if you can teach people new words and then you can hear them using them, I think it's one of the greatest things you could ever do, especially for children. I agree. And one of the great things you can do at home is have dictionary speed races. Um, so you'd need a printed dictionary rather than online dictionary okay. for this one. But most people have got one printed one knocking around. And you can essentially say, right, on your marks, get set, go. And it will really help with spelling and it just introduces a bit of fun um, into the proceedings. So dictionary speed races are quite fun. Um, and spelling, I think you've spoken to us before about this. Me, yes. Um, so link a lot. But we've, we're making that free for schools for the next few months. Um, not free for school, free for anyone okay. in school closures. Um, so that's another way just through animation where you can remember the spellings and have a lot of fun and test yourself. Okay. And Scrabble. Um, Scrabble's a great game as well. Any word game like that. Boggle, yeah. Countdown, obviously. Um, yeah, anything that will just fix things in your mind in a slightly different way. You know, looking at the grammar of, we got, I guess, out on our walks maybe, just sort of, you know, look at things around us and, and um, try and say, well, is that a noun? Is that an adjective? But anything that isn't just sitting down and looking at a textbook, because that's what obviously what, yeah. what people get switched off from. We used to um, play We used to play a game that was like, uh, just mention, say a word, right? And then the next person has to come up with a word that starts with the word, that, that, that the last letter of the last word. Yeah, that's that's a really good game. In fact, Giles Finders, who I do the podcast with, um, yes. he has so many word games. Giles is very well, thank you. We're doing a podcast this afternoon, actually. Good. We're recording it from our little home studios. We're all set up. Yes. Um, and he's very well. And, uh, yes, he's great for word games because he and his family are just always playing word games, board games, um, you know, thinking ahead games. And he's, he's excellent for that. So I've taken quite a Brilliant. few from him. Fantastic. Well, Susie, thank you so much. Do say hello to Giles for us. Something rhymes with purple right. podcast you. and dictionary corner, of course, from Countdown. Words are fun. I could do the whole wordy wrapping hood uh, thing, if you want, from uh, the, 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 the talking heads crowd. But uh, I'm not going to do that because that might uh, cause some alarm for some of you out there. Words are stupid, words are fun, words will send you on the run, I think was the, the line that they used to do. Anyway, coming up, uh, it's the Perry Awards with Marta. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.45, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perry Awards. Joyous sound, that is. I mean, for a ter terribly long week for an awful lot of people, uh, many of whom are much worse off than we are, people who can't work, people who are looking after sick members of their family, you know, there's a chance for you to have a bit of a laugh because this is what we As do. Uh, Marta Malagon is here, oh. but unfortunately Mark could go in as uh, Perry Award. He hasn't put, the, uh. Uh, hasn't put your, your, your microphone up. Is that... Um, oh, it's not up. Maybe it's maybe it's around the wrong way or something. Do you think? Oh, that, oh, oh, there you go. oh, oh, it's oh. up now. Oh, now oh. it's up. Oh, he oh. said it was. He said it was up already. Did I hear an <laughs> incompetence report coming? Another one coming now. Pete has tweeted already to say, "Is there enough time for the Perrier Awards?" Well, I think so. Yeah, of course. I it mean, is. you know, we've got about ten minutes, haven't yeah. we? 
And, uh, you know, I must have made one or two errors this week, I suppose. Welcome, uh, first of all, to Martha Balagon. Thank you very much. Um, I think it's more than one or two. Is it? Um, As I tried to say when my phone... My phone? My (laughs) microphone was uh, off because someone forgot to put the fader up. Exactly right. Um, Yeah, we're going to have a little bit of a laugh at your expense, if that's okay. That's absolutely fine with me. Excellent. Laughing is the best medicine for many things, I've always said. It is, yeah. Yeah. It is. But um, anyway... Would you like to begin? Let's do this. I've got a script here, so I'm going to read it, if that's okay. Uh, Good afternoon and Mm. welcome to the Perrier Awards. This is where we look back at the week of the so-called... Yes, so-called. Independent Republic of My Graham on Talk Radio Mm. and choose our favourite moments. And you know, as it's tradition, and I'm not one to break tradition, the first Perrier goes to you. Thank goodness. It's the classic mispronunciation of the week. (laughs) Well, I was saying that today, that they might just have to start shopping, uh, shutting shops. (laughs) That could have gone a lot more wrong than that. Yes, I know. If you know what I mean. I if know. If I'd used a different vowel. Yeah, but you didn't. Luckily not, no. I had a lot of trouble earlier this week with my mangled mouth. You did, It got yes. better towards the end. Well, there's still time, you know. Yeah, there You've is. got like 13 minutes before Very the true. end of the show. <laughs> so there's room for more mistakes, guys. Yes. Um, call in Natasha. She makes it to the Perrier list with the request of the week. Can you do a, a Megan um, impression once a week to keep <laughs> our spirits up? I'll do it once a day if you like. <laughs> I've already done it today. I know you have. And do not worry, dear listener, because your prayers have been answered. And mine, to be honest, because I really enjoy putting these little things together. Here's a compilation <laughs> of uh, all the Megan impressions we've had this week. Let's go to Hollywood, Harry. Let's go. Stay safe. Don't go out anywhere. <laughs> Move to Malibu. Where it goes on fire once a year. Thank you for this community, for the support, the inspiration and the shared commitment for the good of the world. <laughs> Harry and Meghan. <laughs> that was actually their words on their Instagram. I know. That last bit. I know. Listen, listen, I thought it was her. It sounds a bit... I don't know. It's not so much the sound as the kind of the, the image, isn't it? It's the image and it's also the little crying you do, like... <laughs> you know? I think... Uh, I think it's becoming something quite popular. I have to do it every day, I think. Yes, I think you should do one full show. Yes. Well, as Megan. Oh, my God. Yes. I don't know if I could handle that. We'll try. I mean, probably your voice would break, but maybe you could do, like, a whole section or something. Yes, OK. Get Charles Ray on Get and Charles do the Ray interview as, uh, <laughs> as Megan. That could work. Yeah, it would be reported to the police, probably. Yes, of course. Um, James Max, uh, business breakfast presenter yes. on talk radio. Uh, but also, earlier in this week, we found out that he's an expert in gardening. He is. And you both share a perrier for the Ineondo of the week. And how do you uh, give, sort of make, make sure that you don't end up with either very sore knees or a, a very bad back from bending over the whole time? If you don't like <laughs> getting down on your knees, then that's probably it. <laughs> Gardening. Yeah. I didn't realise when I said that how that sounded, really. I mean, that's OK. That's all right. We could have, we could have done worse. It was yes. very entertaining. Yeah, I think so. He's very knowledgeable about gardening as well. I know, and he knows very a lot impressive. about... I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'm going to. Uh, he's got a huge collection of jigsaw puzzles. Has he? Yeah, Great Western Railway, I think it is. Wow. Jigsaw and you're, puzzles, you've become yeah. a bit of a jigsaw fan, haven't you? Yes, well, I'm trying. Are you trying to do one at the moment? I've made a huge mistake, Mike, <laughs> because I got this thousand-piece jigsaw oh, puzzle of Barcelona. Yeah. But it's like an aerial view of one of the central areas of Barcelona in which, like, all buildings look the same. Yes. Yeah, I'm not doing well. No, I mean, I, tr- I think well. recently, I would say, within the last few years, for some reason, I tried to do a jigsaw puzzle with one of my kids. Yeah. And I just gave up. I know. I my flatmate is actually doing more of the jigsaw that I, than I am. Right. Yeah. Okay. But I think this weekend, because, you know, we're all going to be locked up locked at home. Locked up, yeah. I think this weekend's the one. Well, we'll see how you get on. We'll see. All right.
final one for you, Mike. This is for the obvious comment of the week. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, I don't know um, much about medicine, as you probably know, and I just sit here and talk for three hours a day. There you go. <laughs> That's true. It yeah. is true. There are those who know me who'd say don't know much about anything, actually. I just sit here. But I know people who do. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the thing. Listen, that's the good thing, you yes. know. We get the experts on. Yes. Uh, an expert, one of the many, is uh, Steve Lily White. He's a well-known record producer, yes. friend of the show. He lives in Jakarta and joined us earlier in the week to tell us what the situation is like in Indonesia with the coronavirus outbreak. He wins the parry for a sympathy comment of the week. I first met you when 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 you were on Talk Sports. Yeah. And I have to say, I, I feel sorry for that station at the moment yeah. <laughs> because there is not much talk. There's not much sport to talk about. I think he was laughing, actually, wasn't he? There well, was a little giggle there. Well. Well, I feel sorry I don't for know. them that he laughed. I don't know. I thought some prayers out with our talk sport. With our good this, friends um, and colleagues, yeah. Very difficult time yes, for them. Yes, exactly right. They're really struggling. Mm. And speaking of talk sport, um, they've got a new show. Yes. You heard it here first. But he was also on um, White and Saunders earlier on today. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten about that one. I know you had. <laughs> White and Saunders. I don't know why I was thinking of French and Saunders. Right? I know. And I was trying to think of White and whoever. And I couldn't Sawyer. think of Sawyer. Natalie Sawyer. And you'd even put it up for me. I did put it on your screen. But then you like... took it away again. So <laughs> before I tried to correct it the second time, it was gone. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be quick. White and Saunders sounds like a good show. Jennifer Saunders and Jim White. I would hey? love to see that. I'm re-watching uh, Absolutely Fabulous yes. lately because I need go. like a little bit of comedy in my life. Yeah. And I really like it. So, yeah, I can, I can imagine... Jennifer Saunders with a bottle of champagne. Yes. Jim White on the other side of the Darling, of sweetie, darling, darling, yeah. sweetie, you've got to talk about football all yeah. the time, yeah. darling, sweetie. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I can see that happening. I can see it. Well, listen, if uh, TalkSport bosses are listening... Yes. ...which they should be because, they you know, there's no sport idea. to look at. That's true. Then there you go. Excellent. Give us a call. We'll produce that show. Yeah. And um, there's no way to uh, introduce uh, the next Perry Award. Um, I'm, I'm quite speechless. So I'm actually going to call it the What Happened There Perry Award. Coming up next, after the news, uh, with, his, with, sorry, with Ollie Cole. <laughs> I don't see, know. I said at some point, I don't know what it was, at the beginning of the week, that my mouth just wasn't working properly. Is there, a, is there any particular reason for that? I don't know. I, I think it might be something to do with the, the, the lockdown. Yeah. That's all I can say, because now... I spend quite a lot of time talking to people at the weekends, but not as much as I would if I was in the house in Sussex talking to them. Right, I've got an idea for you. Have you? You've just got to do like a like a rehearsal show like on an Saturday exercise, and Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Well, I nearly had you to do... do a real show last Saturday when, uh, when it all went horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Bless. Mac Dolan's on next. Yes, he's, they've made him today. come in this time. Yeah, he's in today. He can't work his internet. Bless him. We had a few problems. I was here for that. I know. Goodness gracious me. I was feeling me. sorry for you, but... Uh, no, but luckily, listen, we got through it. You got through it in we the end. We got through it. It was a great a show. Great content. Yes. Listen to Mark Dolan on Saturdays. Uh, but also, listen to Mike Graham on his kitchen or something. In I don't my know. kitchen, You're yes. You're doing well, a podcast I'm doing a podcast about um, cooking in your kitchen, I am. Aren't you? I'm going to do a bit of that this, this weekend, in fact. A bit of cooking. Can, and, can, uh, you, can you say what you're cooking? I don't know yet. Ooh. I haven't decided. I'm Ooh. just a spontaneous sort of guy. That's very good. Yeah, I did a, a curry last night. I made some, uh, made some uh, recordings of that. You know, I've never made a curry before. Well, you Is can it learn. Easy? It's very easy. It's all about the spices. It's all, as long yeah. as you've got the right spices, you can basically make anything. And is it easy to get the spices for a curry? It is. Okay. Most supermarkets now, ordinary supermarkets, like you go into any Tesco's, they've got a massive mm. spice rack. They've got most of the things that you would need. There's okay. only maybe one or two things, if you, and they're really specialist things that you'd have to get from a special shop. Okay. But most people will, will sell you just regular stuff. 
Well, listen, if you do a curry recipe, I might give it a go. Because okay. I've got all the time in the you world have. now, guys. Absolutely. I've got, got, got a, a message do. here from Rob. I think Martin needs a perrier next week for best impression of your impression of Megan. <laughs> <laughs> It's like Inception, the film, yes, you know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, uh, we've got three to go. Yes. So we're going to carry on because we've only got like yes. two minutes. Uh, listeners will be familiar with uh, Ollie Cole's voice mm. because uh, his audio packages pop up, you know, all over the talk radio schedule. And um, he covered for Rachel Jewell earlier in the week and he wins the period for bringing us some good news. And the lockdown's been good news for a herd of goats in North Wales. The wild herd of about 122 Kashmiri goats have been stretching their legs on the streets of Llandidnoch thought to have headed down to the town due to the lack of people outside. I think this story has been underreported. Yes. Do you think they've got herd immunity? Oh, very good. Hey, thank you. Clundundo. Very good. I quite like the way you said that. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know how to say it. Well, he's Welsh, so yes, he no, would know how to say it. That's about right. Yeah. But, yeah. I once went there. I nearly went to university. Not university. No, I went to a conference there. It's a long story. I'll yeah. tell you another time. <laughs> okay, fine. Next week then. Um, another one for you, Mike. Yes. One uh, thing that after all this time doing this show on Talk Radio, you would have learned uh, Talk Radio's phone number. But that's not the case. And what your neighbours are doing as well. 0345, um, 0344 <laughs> rather, 499 1000. I think there's a sort of binary thing at 0345 because, you know, it's like oh, a true. sequence. True. Yeah. I mean, still. It is pretty pathetic, though, it is, I agree. It is, though, yeah. right? But, it you know, is. hey... You but can... you get used to it. When I first started doing shows on Talk Sport, I used to give out the number for Talk 107, which is the old oh. Scottish station, because you just get used to a number, you know? When you started on Talk Radio, because yeah. I was here when you started, yes. um, you would say, this is Talk Sport, yes. and throw it to a break. I know. And we laughed a lot. I know. We didn't oh. have fair awards back then, but well, we should have. You all laughed at me a lot, I know. Well, I listen, this, this is the whole purpose of this <laughs> feature. Anyway, last period, yes. and uh, it's not for you. Right. It is for Colonel Bob Stewart, Conservative yes. MP and also friend of the show as well. Mm. Joined us yesterday, and he won the period for the denial of the week. Colonel Bob, very good morning to you. <laughs> Hello. How good are you? Good morning. Can you hear me? Is that the coronavirus alarm going <laughs> off in the back? I don't know what's going on. Um, um, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll let you put that away. Um, it's not me. Oh, OK. <laughs> I mean, it's his phone ringing. I mean, I'm really sorry. Right? I love Cotto Bob. He's yes. a great guest. He's always very happy to speak yeah. to us. Nice, polite. But it was him. It had to be his I'm phone. I'm sorry. It certainly wasn't my phone. It was definitely phone. him. It wasn't your phone. No. It wasn't my phone. It was his phone. Yeah. Own up, Colonel Bob. Correct. Yeah. And with that, we say, that's all for the Perry Awards. There'll be more next week. Thank you. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Well, it's been quite a week. Thank you to everybody who's listened. Thank you to all of you who've called in. Sorry if we didn't get to you and sorry if we haven't solved the problem that you're currently facing. We will continue to do that. We will continue to fight the good fight on your behalf. We need you uh, to keep calling us and to keep listening to us and to keep telling us what is happening. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.